Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights. Outtakes from Jeremy Lee's collectible live show on Sunday evening. I was on with him for about an hour. Uh, great time with Jeremy always, talking about the Mint Collective and some of the offerings. So I just pulled out about 12 minutes. So here's our conversation. Thanks, sponsors, Tops Panini, Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Huggins Scott Auctions, Mike Staney Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, Compsy.com, and Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. So thanks, everybody. It was completely different from any show I've ever been to. I put in more than 10,000 steps each day took numerous selfies or they were taken, got to meet a lot of people. It was a real highlight. Nothing like it has ever been done. I hope something like it is done about a year from now that they do it again and tweak a few things. But all in all, hats off to the collectible team for a, a great show. Yeah, I, I, I agree completely. Have they set a new bar as far as hobby industry events go? They've more than set the bar. I think they've claimed that territory. The problem is if somebody else wants to jump into that space, it comes with a, I don't know that it'd be a seven-figure price tag, but they have a first-mover advantage for something that's not a summit, it's not a national, but the Mint Collective, they paid a lot this year to create a brand, and it's beyond collectible, bringing IMG and the full participation of eBay. Again, hats off to them. So I, I hope it's an annual event. Now, the event was great because it was, as you said, it was, it was so much more than just a card show. We had the marketplace, which was the show, which included a lot of corporate setup. We had the panel discussions, which were really a nice addition to the whole thing. And they were going on throughout the weekend. Did you attend a few of those? I know, I believe you might have partaken in one, but uh, talk about your experience on the panel or watching these panel discussions. It would be so terrible if I said, yes, I went to one panel <laughs> because I was on one panel. I had a great time with that. Excellent group. And I went to a couple others and I popped in on some, but it was outside the show floor. So I listened to the one that was uh, at the back of the room. I think that you did a less formal panel. Maybe that was Friday night. So it was a three ring circus. You couldn't be in all three rings. No, de definitely true. On Friday night, the panels were actually in the show floor because that was the, the preview event for the whole weekend. On Saturday and Sunday, they moved off to the breakout rooms, which were in other rooms. Yeah, I sat in on a couple myself, took part in a couple and really enjoyed it. And you could tell the crowds were very engaged in what was going on the stages in terms of these discussions. On the show floor, there were so many new companies that were set up and showing, presenting their, their products and services. Was there anything that really impressed you that you saw for the first time? Well, I saw in greater detail some of the things my former company is doing and some of the acquisitions they've made. They're very excited. I'm excited for them. What, what I liked when I'm walking the show floor is there'd be a car dealer or two, and then there'd be a new technology. It wasn't like, here are the new corporate exhibitors in this corner, and here's their traditional car dealers uh, in the other corner. It was sprinkled throughout. And so walking through, I just felt there was a sense of optimism and energy as I walked through. And even the card show dealers were not typical. They, they were bringing some better items and great branding opportunity for anybody that was there to be more well-known among some of the movers and shakers in the industry. As far as the vendors go, you're known to go to shows, the National, the Dallas show, and go through the dollar box, look for some treasures in there. Did you find uh, the ability to do that at the Mint Collective? Was there that sort of dollar box experience? I made uh, two vows when I was going there. The first one was not to do any uh, casino gambling. And the second vow I made was to not buy any cards. I said, surely this is a show. There won't be anything for me. I'll just browse around, really enjoy meeting people that I'd only met through Zoom before and fresh people I'd never even met at all. And th that was terrific. 
I did not break my vow for the casino gambling, but I broke my vow for buying cards at 11 a.m. on Saturday morning. Somebody had a dollar box. I thought, just peek in there. <laughs> and 30 minutes later, I had a little stack of stuff. So there wasn't much of that. And I wasn't going for that. But I thought, this is a little experiment. Who's bringing dollar cards to a really high-end show? And, and there were a couple of local dealers where they could bring a little more weight. So I had fun with that. Yeah. You know, I, I like to play poker sometimes. I thought maybe I'll get in a couple hours of poker uh, one day, one evening or something. I did not play a single hand of poker. I did not lay a dime on any uh, table game or anything at all. My game of choice in Vegas is poker as well. I, I probably won more than I've lost, but it's not enough for me to quit my day job. Oh, wait, I'm already retired. <laughs> <laughs> well, the Mint Collective was obviously in Las Vegas this year, and I don't know what the plans are for future years between collectible IMG in Omaha, but I'm hoping that it's going to be in Las Vegas again because there's that much more entertainment activity to do. Everyone can stay in the same large hotel and gather outside of show hours and just have these impromptu discussions. Do you think that Las Vegas was the right venue for the show? And if it's back there next year, will you plan to attend again? I had a conversation with Ted Barker, who's the general manager of the events that Beckett Media is doing. I think this is a win for Beckett Media, having the summit in Vegas. I think it's putting Vegas more on the map and for the reasons you mentioned. It's got a lot going for it, and the people are going to gamble are going to gamble anyway. But it's easy to get to, the accommodations, the food, the ability to congregate, all that's great. And what I'm hoping for is if this is every spring and the industry summit that Beckett Media is trying to make more inclusive, but again, slightly different demographic, if that's every fall, and then mid late summer is the national that's that's developing a, a pretty consistent and robust hobby calendar and with a lot of other regional shows the expos in toronto i i, I love it hopefully it's taking things to the next level yeah agreed a lot of people leading up to the mint collective weren't sure what to expect of it a lot of people who weren't there might not understand really what it was we've touched on it but could you give your description of what the mint collective was and in the context of who would you recommend goes to this event? Is it for everybody in the hobby or certain sectors of the hobby? I had a long conversation with Joel Belfer that does the Mint Condition e-newsletter. And we were talking about how it's worth it to come there just because you need to be there. You can't explain what it is if you're not there. Being there was really a big part of it. The old Hawaii Industry Summit was a B2B event where a lot of card shops, if you can call them bees, but it was business to business. The National has been B2C with the rank and file collectors. Many are there, but this was a B to capital C. These were the big customers, the big collectors. And so you had to be there. They, and I think some collectors stayed away because they said, you can't do that. You can't have a card show and seminars at the same time, it will not work well. And I'm here to tell you, it did not work well in one sense, but you still needed to be there because you had a choice, as Joel did. We talked about how each hour you had a chance to either be in that room or the other room. And even if you made a wrong choice after the fact, in some sense, you still were good. I had no wasted time, wasted hours there. If I was at the seminar, that was good. If I was walking the show floor, I was bumping into some interesting people. So no, it could never work perfectly because you can't be two places at once. But you had so many options to choose. Lots of booths, and there weren't so many people in there that you couldn't get a few minutes with 
one of these budding entrepreneurs. The founder was the technologist in some cases. You're able to talk to the person that's creating this technology, and maybe it's in beta, or they have a prototype, but that was very interesting to me. So anybody that stayed away, you're right. It wasn't perfect because you can't be in two places at once, but both those places were good places to be, and I went back and forth. Joel went back and forth. You probably went back and forth, and it was great. They can tweak it next time, and I've got some ideas on that, but it worked well enough this time. It'll work even better next time. Yeah, it was great in its first form, but I can only imagine how much better it will get as they listen to the public and see what they can do to make it better. I'm sure you've got some great suggestions. I've already got a Zoom call with Ezra teed up for next week. When I've got a list of things, and I told him, I said, I'm going on with Jeremy. I said, I've got some incremental ideas, and I've got some radical ideas. And he said, why don't you save the radical ideas? But you can share some incremental ideas with Jeremy, because I think this has a lot of potential to go to even another level. Would you like to share some of those incremental ideas? Number one, not just because you're here, but I really think for you to have a bigger role in the moderating would be going forward. I, I like that. Some There were different moderators for many of the panels Each one of them had their own personality and consistency and all that. So if I were in charge, if the panels were every hour on the hour and they were 40 minutes long, and then at the end of the 40 minutes, you had 10 minutes to come to the front and discuss, and then you had 10 minutes to clear out of the room, and then you start another one. And I would have no more than three chairs up there. That's either you as the moderator and two people Uh, that are not necessarily opposing viewpoints, but two interesting people that you wouldn't necessarily see talking about the same topic. Or if you're not there, or if there's no moderator, you could have three different people there, then not even have a moderator, just let one of the persons flip for it or something like that. I'd have a commitment to 50% Q&A, because some of the panels had very little time for Q&A, and I think that's an essential part of it. I would say no concurrent panels. I I heard several people say that was frustrating. Two great panels, interesting at the same time. Lastly, for the incremental ideas, when these things are getting going, if there was a text announcement that this panel is going to start in 10 minutes, get there to be there. Jeremy, you hit the ground running as a uh, moderator, as you do, and keep it moving. And again, 20 minutes is enough to pontificate (laughs) and then hear from the crowd. If something's going to be a 40-minute presentation by one or two people, I I don't want to go. I want to stream it later if there's no opportunity for me to ask a question. Yeah. And then those are not my radical ideas. I'm saving for Ezra. All right. (laughs) There were three venues uh, for content. One was the special, not quite soundproof room, the podcast studio they had set up professionally mic'd up and all that stuff. The second was that open air place in the back of the room that you had. Your problem was you're competing with heavy hors d'oeuvres. (laughs) And maybe not open bar, but a lot of drinking and it's Friday night and people were walking by and stuff like that. And then you had the signature session area down a different hall, three different rooms. And that was for some bigger crowds. So each of those probably could do a little bit of tweaking. But again, hats off for doing that because it made it visible that you knew you were at a show that was a little bit different. Yeah. Yeah. And different better in those respects. Yeah. If somebody has a million dollars to invest. A couple of years ago, somebody would come in and think, what cards can I buy for a million dollars? Now, I think if you're a young person with uh, some technology edge, you're saying, how can I invest in the infrastructure of this industry? A million dollars doesn't 
go very far toward branding, but you can sure get a, a digital prototype of some of these things. I think it's exciting, all the different technologies. So when people are getting in the hobby, it's not just to buy cards, it's to participate in a business way. There's private equity, venture capital, and people are, are choosing to not necessarily make an immediate big splash, but because some of these technology companies that are emerging now have been stealth for a year. Then all of a sudden they come up and you whoa, you had to know it was happening because things have been so hot for the last year and a half or two. So I think that's the exciting thing. It put a lot of technologies, some of which I was not aware of. I've had discussions with Jeremy and the Beckett Media guys over time. And I just say, I've got some ideas. Say, we love your ideas. And then I'm thinking, wait a minute, some of those ideas now just got taken. <laughs> but also some of those ideas got acquired by Beckett Media. It's a very dynamic. People, they're making bigger bets, Jeremy. That's the thing. You're not just betting to buy a card. They're betting that this is an industry that's moving up. Yeah, definitely agree with that. Let's talk about stealth and technology as it relates to the Beckett brand, because uh, I was fortunate enough to be at the Beckett VIP party on Thursday night where they announced the relaunch of the brand, the new website coming, a couple of acquisitions, the Beckett Vault. There's some NFT activity happening over there. This company bears your name. I got this hat. This is the new Beckett logo. What's your opinion of the new logo? Did they ask you for your blessing? Did you have any input at all? No, I'm the father of the old logo <laughs> in the sense that it, it, it's something that I had a too heavy of a hand in. And I think they probably stayed with it too long. And again, if that's in deference to me, I, I'm sorry. I, I'm glad they're changing it. It's, it's a little more modern, updated look, and they don't need my permission. But I like it. I just want to make sure they're not biting off too much. I know when I was running the company, it, it's not always a question of money sometimes. And it's not always even a question of manpower. It's, it's just you got a lot of irons in the fire. They're moving to bigger offices in the middle of all this as well. I am not here to help move furniture. <laughs> no. I'm a pro bono consultant. I'm here to give advice. And they've had a slight change of ownership management structure. I'm going to be meeting with the guys. And I think I'll try to meet with them more regularly because I, I keep doing the podcast. So I'm here. They're trying to, I think, reestablish their market leadership, which I'm extremely in favor of. Yeah, that was definitely the message that, that, that they sent. They want to really bring the brand back to where it once was and where it really deserves to be. The brand is so synonymous with the hobby. It carries your last name. I think it's good that you stay in touch with them. It, it might help just ground them and keep them connected to the roots. And the roots really are you and your original ideas back in the day. 